then you're going to hold fast. Unless that belief was empty. You're going to hear the word vain several times in this passage. The the word vain simply means empty. To take God's name in vain means that we lift up His name as meaning nothing. It's empty. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not. And Paul says if your belief is in vain, then you're not standing in the faith that you're talking about. In fact, he says... The faith, this what you received, is what you stand in. It denotes fixed position. It means without wavering or shifting. It is this. The knowledge of Christ has so permeated your life that you have placed your faith of salvation there. And that's where you're standing. You're not moving because of Jesus Christ. He said, I delivered as of first importance. I love that. Paul said, this wasn't my message. I didn't make this up. I simply am the delivery boy. I took the message that God gave me, and I'm delivering it to you. I'm just trying to be a faithful steward. And he said, this is the message of first importance. You get why this message is so important? Paul is saying not only is it important, it's of first importance. It's in front of everything else. If there's anything else that Paul could have told him, he would have said, oh, that's important, but this is the most important thing. And what does he tell them? First, Christ died for our sins. Start right there. Christ died for our sins. Why did we need a Savior? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've used this illustration before, but I have to use it because it's the best one I got. To, To sin means to miss the mark. It's like a target with a guy pulling back a bow and arrow. Maybe you've watched that in the Olympics this during the Olympics, the archery competition. You're the archer, and every arrow you shot at the target fell short. It didn't even hit the target, much less the bullseye. Every, every effort we had to reach out to God, every effort we had to live like God wants us to live, listen, students, adults, in my own flesh, that is impossible. So all of us have sinned. And just in case you think that only applies to you, it applies to everybody in this room. You ever play spiritual comparison games where you kind of look down the road and you think, man, I know they know God. Just look how miserable they are. I used to feel that way when I was a kid. I used to think the people that squinted their eyes so tight must really know God. No, maybe they had something in their eye. Or people that were miserable, I don't think they know God. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you ever seen somebody that looks miserable in church, maybe they're just miserable. And maybe they need Jesus. Maybe all they got was religion. But Paul says you need to know, first and foremost, Christ died for our sins. We needed somebody to die for our sins. Why? Because apart from Christ, I'm going to die. And spend eternity separated from God. Romans 3.23 says all of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. But the rest of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. What do you have to do to earn a gift? Nothing. You can't earn a gift. You have to receive the gift. So the first thing is Christ died for our sins. And then he says, according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures is he talking about? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No. Hadn't been written yet. What's he talking about? The Old Testament. He's talking to people they are saying, you know what, if you'd read your Bible, you would understand all those hundreds of prophecies about Jesus have been fulfilled 
in Christ. He is the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people, Pharisees and Sadducees, would not accept that. There's no way that this Messiah, because we have this picture of what he's supposed to look like, and because he didn't look that way, we're not going to receive him. They wanted a conquering hero that was going to come in and take over immediately. Jesus had bigger plans. And so he says, listen, he did exactly what the Scripture said. He, he was crucified, just like the Scripture said he would be, would be crucified. Old Testament here, several places in the Old Testament. Next, he was buried. You ever thought about that? Why did they bury Jesus? That thought just got all over me this way. Why did they bury him? If they had listened to him, he said, I'm going to rise again on the third day. If they had really had faith, they would have said to Joseph of Arimathea, we're not going to need your tomb. He ain't going to be there that long. You know what they did with tombs back in those days? They laid you in a tomb, rolled a rock in front of it so the animals couldn't come in and maul your body. They'd let nature take its course, and after about a year they'd come over and scrape up the ashes and the bone and stick it in a box called an ossuary, and they would stick that somewhere, and that's, they could use the tomb again. Well, he wasn't going to be in there that long. Why'd they bury him? Because they thought he was going to stay dead. When the disciples went to the cross, most of them fled. Scared they were next. The only one we see any mention of at the cross is John. But they're not even the ones that take his body down off the cross. Who is it? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They prepare his body. They put him in a tomb. They roll a rock in front of it because they thought it's over. He's going to stay dead. That's why he's buried. But Paul said the third thing you need to know. Not only did he die for your sins, not only was he buried, but he was raised on the third day. And he says it again, according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures are you talking about? The Old Testament. Prophesy in the Old Testament. He's going to die and he's going to rise again. If they had read their Bible, they would have known that. So that's the message. I can't make the gospel message any simpler than that. Except the last thing he says is he appeared. I love that. Jesus appeared to people that he revealed himself to. If you notice the first century accounts of Christ after his resurrection, people didn't even recognize him. The women at the tomb, the two on the road to Emmaus, even the disciples, if you read carefully, when he appears to them in the upper room, they weren't real sure what was going on until he showed them the wound. And then they rejoice. So when you hear this next section about who he's appeared to, understand he revealed himself on at least ten different occasions over a 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension. So let's look at that. The message is important. The proof is so very important. Who did he appear to? Verse 6. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the, all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet... Not I, but the grace of God with me. So who did he appear to? Well, there's other occasions, but who Paul says he appeared to, first of all, was Cephas. Who was Cephas? It's Peter. 
That's just the Greek pronunciation. Peter had a bunch of names. He was Simon until, God, until Jesus called him the rock and called him Peter. And the Greek, uh, another definition or another pronunciation of that word is the word Cephas. We look at it and we want to call it Cephas, but it's actually pronounced Cephas. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Well, the disciples by this time, had, that was just their term. They were just called the twelve. Was there still twelve of them? No, there's only eleven. What happened to one of them? Judas betrayed Christ and killed himself. So when Jesus appeared to them back in the upper room, there was only 11, but apparently there were others with them. All the followers have kind of come together now. We believe there's over 100 in that room by that time. So he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500. When did that happen? Some scholars think that's Matthew chapter 28. When it says that he met with the eleven, but others that were there had had a trouble believing. That's when he gave the great commission: "You shall be my witnesses unto Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. You shall baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." That that's the great commission. But some scholars think it's there. But he appeared to over five hundred people. And here's what Paul's saying: Hey, if you don't believe me, ask them. Because most of them are still alive. So by the time that this letter is written to Corinthians, and these people are struggling with this one issue, and that is that Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. You know what they were being taught? It's a theological term called dualism. Plato apparently believed in dualism, and that is this, that yes, Jesus was divine. He was supernatural. And therefore, he could not possibly also be human. Because anything supernatural was intrinsically good and anything physical was intrinsically bad so they could not possibly believe in the resurrection you know who else didn't believe in the resurrection the sadducees remember them pharisees and sadducees conspired together to kill jesus but they don't even like each other don't even believe the same thing sadducees read the old testament but they didn't believe in resurrection there's a major religious group today that says basically the same thing jesus really didn't die he only appeared to die because we really didn't rise from the dead it just appeared that way because y'all all thought he was dead well listen when they came and pierced his side with a spear and blood and water came out separated that was proof he was dead so more than 500 and here's what paul says listen don't take my word for it go ask them most of them are still alive and they're still giving testimony to the fact we saw jesus not only did it appear to the 500 but he said he appeared to James. A lot of scholars question, who is this? A lot of James in the first century. You know who I believe it is? One of Jesus' half-brothers was named James. He wrote the book of James. And in the Gospels, it's real clear. He was not a believer. He wanted to protect Jesus from himself because he knew he was going to die. He did not acknowledge him at God at that point. But by, at some point after the resurrection... James becomes a faithful follower of his half-brother, Jesus. In fact, when James and Jude write their little epistles, they don't mention that. All they talk about the fact is, I'm a slave of Jesus. He's become a follower. And then all the apostles, at this point now, he's talking about all those people that had seen him. We're not talking about the 11 or 12 anymore. We're talking about hundreds. He's appeared to them all. And then Paul said, and then last, 
Literally, furthermore, more, almost an afterthought, he said, he appeared to me. When did that happen? On the road to Damascus. What's Paul doing? His name was Saul, by the way. What's he doing? He's going to persecute Christians. And Jesus smacks him down on the road, <laughs> blinds him with a light, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Paul became a follower of Christ, but here's what he thought of himself. I'm the least of the disciples. I'm not even fit. I'm incompetent. Why? Because I persecuted the church. Paul never got over the fact that this Jesus that now is his Savior had been one that he had persecuted. How would you have liked to have been in the first church that Paul walked into as a believer? Wouldn't that have been a little scary? Here comes Paul claiming to be a Christian. You're like, well, he's done gone undercover. I've heard about this guy, changed his name, gone undercover. Some people were scared to death of Paul to start off with. Paul said, I'm not fit. It's only by God's grace. What I am today is only by God's grace. Men and women, could I say to you today, what you are is only by God's grace. It's a gift. Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Paul said, you know what, his grace has not appeared to me in vain. It, it hadn't come empty. Because I've labored more than any of them. i got to tell you, Paul, before he became a Christian, was a zealous persecutor of the church. After he comes to faith in Christ, he is a zealous protector of the church. He says, but not I, but the grace in me. Let me close then with the last thought, and that is the response is important. The message is, is important. The proof is vital. But how we respond to it is crucial, folks. Paul says in verse 11, Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain your faith is also vain. Moreover, we have even been found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Just first part of verse 20. But now Christ has been raised. A lot of if-thens in there. But here's what Paul's saying. Listen, whether I preach it to you or somebody else, if you believed it, you've, you've come to faith in Christ, then why are some of you going around saying, yeah, but? That stuff about resurrection. What are, they, what are they really saying? Bottom line, they're just saying this life's it. We've become followers of Christ. We're Christians, but this is as good as it gets. There is no heaven. Once you die, you stay dead. That's what they were teaching. Can I say this? Listen, if there was no heaven, it's worth it to follow Christ. But I got better news than that. This isn't as good as it gets, folks. This is as bad as it gets. It's better than this. And so he goes into these if-thens, just six of them. I'm going to do them pretty quick. 
try to follow the logic. Because here's what Paul, it's like he's back in a courtroom and he's saying, all right, if you believe this, then this is the implication. If, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then you've got to acknowledge, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then our preaching is vain. What? It's empty because we really don't have anything to tell you. It's worthless to listen to us. Your faith also is in vain, by the way. So you really can't just believe in Jesus for this life because there's more to this and you're denying one of the basic tenets of the faith and that is there is such a thing as resurrection from the dead. Moreover, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we're telling a lie. We've become false witnesses against God. And there's some people who believe that's exactly what's happened. In order for that to happen, it means that hundreds of people had to get together and make up a story and conspire to this lie. And what's worse than that, they had to take it with them to their death. Because if you go back and study history of what happened to the disciples, they all died confessing Christ. Some of them were hung upside down. Some of them were crucified, hung. Some of them flayed alive, literally skinned alive. If somebody's looking at you and saying, if you don't recant this story you're telling, we're going to kill you. If you know the story's a lie, you know what you're going to say? I'm just kidding. I was lying. Listen, even in the faith of face of death, the disciples said, in fact, I love in Acts what they say. Well, you decide whether it's right or wrong, but we can't stop telling what we know because it's the truth. If the dead are not raised, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is not raised, then your faith is worthless. It's empty. Here's the bad news. You're still in your sins. You haven't been forgiven. You're going to have to pay for your sins. If the truth about Christ that we preach is not true. You're still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep have perished. One of the comforting things that Paul tells to people. Some of the people in the first century thought, okay, Jesus said he was coming back. So what about these people that are dying? I thought they were Christians. And some of the people were thinking, they died. They must not have been Christians. And Paul writes them in Thessalonians and says, oh, no. Understand something. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. They're not going to miss out on anything. So what Paul, the comfort that Paul's given them is this. To be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. You're in the presence of Almighty God awaiting the return of Jesus. And that's our hope as believers. Last, if those who have hoped in Christ in this life only If you think this is all there is, you're most to be pitied. Because this isn't all there is. Our hope is so much better than that. And he closes with verse 20, and that's where we'll pick up next week. But here's what he says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Bow your heads before the Lord and ask this question. Have you ever placed your faith in that God? A lot of people in this world are lying about Jesus right now. Here's the truth. He lived a perfect life. He was put to death. He was buried. 
and he rose from the dead. Folks, that's a story that's true, and it's good news. And one day, as a believer, we're going to see him again. Father, I pray for men and women in this place this morning. God, for all of us that have claimed the name of Christ, would you give us that kind of calm assurance and comfort today? Recognizing that regardless of what's going on in the world around us, we know the end of the story. You are victorious. Regardless of the skeptics and the cynics, the haters, God, you win the victory. God, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you, maybe all they got was the dose of religion. God, today would be the day they turn to you as Savior and Lord. Father, thank you that the truth of your word is true. God, we know it because there's witnesses that testify to it. Thank you. And God, because that's true, it impacts our lives. It changes the way we're going to live today and tomorrow. God, I pray that we get noticed so that people ask us, what is the reason for the hope we have? And we're able to tell them about Jesus. Thank you, Father. Christ.